Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Detailed Car Collection. This is Nick live from the VR shop. You can find us in the HyperClean Specialist Group on Facebook or check out the store, hypercleanstore.com. I'm going to start today talking a little cars. I know last week we talked ceramic coating and those types of things, but today let's get to a result that took place this week, a 2011 997.2 GT3 RS 4.0 sold on PCAR market for $740,000. Now, it's a pretty good return in 11 years of ownership if you've kept that car because most of those specs went out somewhere around the $215,000 range. So you've basically tripled your money. Wild to think what's going on in that market. But let's talk a little bit about why I find this car pretty interesting. Why I find this car worthy of a topic today. Number one, it was the last of the Metzger Flat Six. Okay, It was a, an ode to that engine and that time frame for Porsche. The thing about the value that kind of surprises me is there was about 600 or so made. I believe is the final count. Usually it's very hard to see that type of appreciation with that type of availability. Okay. Usually you see that limited run cars, a couple hundred were made, you know, a few 50 or 60 have been in an accident, you know, another 50 or 60 are in disrepair. You know, we only got a hundred of these floating around to see this price on this car. Is it surprising in today's market? The answer is no. Would I pay 740 or advise a collector who was looking for a real investment in the car, didn't love the car? The answer is no. But if you love Porsche, you have a bunch of money sitting around, this is a car to own. And this is kind of interesting because Porsche has basically taken the 911 brand and, and they'll, they'll slap any sticker on it. They'll slap anything on it, especially GT cars now, 911 GT4, 911 GT3, we got a GT2, we got... I mean, they'll fly, that, that GT program is so out of control. This was a special one. And it was cool to see the result of 740K. Quite frankly, probably one of the last GT cars that I consider to be done right. A lot of guys don't want to hear this about the Porsche GT cars, but it mainly is just rebranded, same engines, same parts, different put together pieces. This is a special car. This was the last of a dying breed. And this is where you see the values go through the roof. This is a very niche car. Very few people are going to hunt this car, you know, consistently. Even most Porsche GT owners that have become GT owners in the last five to seven years don't really know about this car. It was incredible to see this market pop at 740 plus thousand dollars because now with buyer's premium with shipping with everything you're talking about an eight hundred thousand dollar purchase if you really love porsche this was a car to have especially if you're a gt3 guy 
this is the car that that GT program took a lot of pride in. Not that they don't take pride in their cars, and I'm not saying that, but this was, was special to that program. The guys and gals that have worked in that program for a lot of years saw this as a special one. So I actually think this is a very collectible car. And I wouldn't say that normally about a car that has 600 of them floating around, thereabouts, uh, really isn't that long into ownership. It's within the last 10, 11 years that you could get it. I, d I think this is a good purchase. I think this is on its way to a million-dollar car. It may, with the market faltering, you know, me meaning the stock market, we may see this bounce lower. But I think eventually this becomes a million-dollar car. I know people are going to think that's crazy because I'm not, I'm not really bullish on a lot of GT cars being high-value cars long-term. They're extremely fun to drive one of the greatest sports cars ever built, but there's so many of them and they're constantly just whoring that program out that there's not that many special GT threes to me. This was one of them to see it go for this money. I think, again, I talked to a couple of collectors this week that I deal with. I told them before the auction ended, I thought this was a future million dollar car. Neither one of them actually agree with me. Uh, and there's gonna be a lot of people that don't agree with me. I think it's a million dollar car. Because I think the GT car program at Porsche is so out of control with building cars that it's going to devalue a lot of them. This one's not going to be devalued. This one is the last of a breed. The GT3 RS 4.0, I think 100% this 2011 is going to be a special car. I want to talk a little bit about the electric car market. DeLorean made a huge announcement. We shared it on Instagram, again, at HyperCleanStore at HyperClean Nick, shared it on both pages. This presents a problem so many people aren't going to talk about. Okay, the electric car market is basically, for the foreseeable future, going to do one thing for brands. It's going to allow them to re-release nostalgic brands, cars, models, whatever. Because once you put the electric platform together, all you're doing is building the body on it, maybe dealing with some interior bits. That's it. Scouts coming back, DeLorean's back. But I want to give some caution here. First of all, the DeLorean with the doors that open, and it's a sedan, and the doors open, and the whole car's exposed because it, one door opens both the front and back of the car. Kind of silly. Uh, I'm hoping that that's not the final concept because when you live in the desert, you know, it gets so windy out here and so dusty. I wouldn't want my entire car opened up on the windiest days out here. Uh, I just think it's a foolish design, but let's, let's put that to the side and talk about the dangers of this. So let's say you revitalize DeLorean. Here's what nobody wants to tell you about electric cars. They're real buggy. They got a lot of bugs, man, and they shut themselves down and they have problems charging. And, you know, what's their charging network going to be for all these little different small brands that are going to pop their head? You're finding this with Lucid, Polestar's Electric, all of these different companies that, again, I like. I'm an electric car fan. I have multiple cars in my life. Look, I got six work trucks. I got three or four vehicles at my house. An electric car would do me a lot of good, be very positive for me. But I also have gas vehicles that allow me to travel to Sedona or go to LA or go to San Diego or go to Phoenix. If you have an electric car, man, 
If you follow some of these people that are really telling the truth, the charging network isn't great. It takes a long time. Then you have chargers that are way out of the way. They don't work. Nobody tells you that they're down. Like, this is all going to get better, but there's this big rush that all of these smaller brands are going to be revitalized, and it's going to be great for the consumer. I actually think the opposite. Tesla has a ton of cars sitting in a destroyed graveyard, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of cars that they can't revitalize. And Tesla is the most reputable electric brand. Look, Mach-E from Ford has all kinds of bugs still. It's not a bad car, but it's buggy. Especially the guys that got the first generation of those cars. Electric Bronco. We're hearing some very crazy things around that. We have to start thinking about some of this stuff. And I have so many people hit me up about electric vehicles, and I'm a fan. But I'm a realistic fan. You go buy DeLorean, who's going to service your car? What are you going to do when you have a problem? What are you going to do when it doesn't charge itself? Now you got to Uber to work. Uber to the kids' games. Go get a rental car, which is short on supply, and you're paying 100 200 300 bucks a day in some places, believe it or not. We are in a real rush to electrify cars, and there, there's a huge incentive for manufacturers to electrify cars. It's not the EPA only. It makes their life super simplistic. They build one sled, put a whole bunch of different bodies on it. Rivian, production issues. Lucid, production issues. Tesla, production issues. Ford, production issues. And I'm going to trust DeLorean to get it right? I'm going to trust Tesla to get it right? Hell, most of you don't trust Ford to get it right. Got a bunch of guys contacting me. They want to go buy this electric car. That let, Hey, man, it's your money. We got to start talking realistic. Charge America is not good. The charging network that's out there now is not good. It's average. There's no incentive to make that great. Who's going to make the investment? This is your only car. I'm not going electric. Let me make that clear. In my house, we've almost bought electric twice. I got no problem. I got access to a million vehicles through my business and personal. Hell, I can call most of my customers and drive theirs around that are sitting around. I don't do that, but I could. I have access to vehicles. I'm in a, I'm in a unique spot. But I have families telling me, oh, we're going to get our 16-year-old daughter an electric car. Dude, do you know how fast they are? you know how buggy they are? What are you going to do when this happens? What are you going to do when that happens? What are you going to do when you can't charge it or she forgets to charge it? We got electric vehicles. With college kids and some of my customers, we got to constantly stay on keeping them plugged in. A kid's going to forget. I would have forgotten. It's not as friendly as everybody's making it out to be. I think it's cool DeLorean's coming back. But I'm realistic that DeLorean's going to have a really hard time servicing the DeLorean cars. And make no mistake, you're not cutting the mechanic out. I've had Teslas back at Tesla headquarters here locally a hundred times because they couldn't get it right and things were going on with the car. You're not avoiding anything that you don't do now. Well, I'm not going to go to the gas station. Well, you got to pay for the, to plug it in. 
then you got to deal with the headache if you forget to plug it in. And you got to hope you find a charger somewhere if you're out and about and you forgot. Look, man, there's a lot of modern conveniences nobody's talking about. The DeLorean design is up for debate. I think it looks cool. Is it functional? And believe it or not, you're going to care about that. Ask anybody that bought a BMW i8. There's a reason those cars didn't take off. It wasn't because of the cost. It's because you couldn't get in and out of them. They were miserable to get in and out of. We took care of several. I could not stand climbing in and out of those cars. They were not practical to drive around. Cool look, futuristic, credible power. There was all kinds of reasons for people to buy those cars and that car to be successful. You couldn't get in and out of it. It wore off really quickly. DeLorean's back, but there's going to be a huge headache. So you're advising clients out there. You're, you're a DIYer listening to this. Hey, man, I'm as big a fan of electric as anybody. They're quiet. They're fun to drive. Uh, you, you know, it's relaxing. I got it. But I also know I'm driving it around my city. I'm not really trying to travel and use it like a car that I'm used to using. It's a very limited asset at this point. And it's going to be for some time because you still have to build a charging network. Everybody telling you there's a charging network now has never tried to drive across state lines with an electric car. Because you have to battle that at some point. And a lot of times, if you go from Las Vegas to Los Angeles, to make it there on some of these cars, you have to go like 72 miles an hour while traffic is going 90 miles an hour. So you're in the right lane when you're used to driving 90 in your car, not thinking anything of it. Now you got to drive 73 miles an hour, 72 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour just to get it to Vegas. So traffic is zooming by you because that's what people drive from Los Angeles to Vegas, 80, 90 miles an hour. You struggle to do that because your electric's not going not gonna to make it there. But if you do 68 miles an hour, it'll make it. So you got to do 68. Well, that's more time. Then what if your car doesn't make it? Now you got to track down the charger. What if the charger's out of order, which happens all the time? Here to tell you, man, people are just not thinking about it. And then when it comes to service, they're going to revitalize a bunch of brands. There's going to be a bunch of money thrown behind it. You know, the Saudi fund has put a bunch of money behind Lucid. What's that done? They're still caught up in production issues. They're still having massive, massive problems. I'm cheering them on, but I also know the reality. So I wanted to share my thoughts as Back to the Future comes to life and DeLorean is back. I'm going to finish today's episode on something that probably I'm a little shocked that I get so many questions on, texts, DMs, calls, about how I dilute chemicals. Now, understand something, that we have a lot of things on the website to try to help. You know, dilute this one-to-one, dilute this 10-to-one, dilute this four-to-one. But I want to tell you how I've done it in my career. Because that's what a lot of people call me and ask, hey, what do you do with this chemical? Okay. More than likely, what I do with the chemical is going to be different than what's on a manufacturer's website. Because manufacturers like HyperClean or anyone that you use is kind of giving you a guidance based on how we know people use chemicals, not always the way we use them internally. And that's a hard thing to wrap your brain around for a lot of people is we, we're, we're having to direct people in a way that necessarily I don't do in my business. And so I've given this a lot of thought and I'm going to run it by Marty and we're going to talk through this. 
is that what I may do is give general directions on the website and start to go through and give Nick's professional detailing opinion on how I use that particular chemical. And I want to give an example of why I'm saying this. In my career, I've never tried to stretch my chemicals. And this is where the frustration for me lies because so many people are talking about TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, doesn't matter, podcasts. Oh, if you buy this chemical, you can really stretch it, man. Why do I need to stretch chemicals? I hate to break it to everybody. It's very inexpensive to clean your car properly. And let me put a theory that I have about what I care about when it comes to chemicals. And this has been this way for a lot of years. 10 plus, 20 plus years for me. I want to make my life as easy as possible using the right chemicals. And I want it to give me an elite result. And that's what I want. I don't care if I have to use a little more chemical to get that. I want my life to be made easier and I want to be able to achieve an elite result. Now I'm assuming most of you agree with that, but there are a lot of you that are stretching chemicals so far that you're working really, really hard and you're not able to get an elite finish the way you think you are. You tell yourself it's elite, but it's not. And let me use wheel cleaners as the jumping off point. We have expressed the reality around cheap $20 a gallon wheel cleaners. I've used them. I've tested them. I put a very popular one in my business on five trucks. It didn't work. It worked my guys to the bone trying to clean the rim. That's a negative. I want to make their life easier. It left residue behind even when we scrubbed and it had a proper process. So why would I buy that product? If you're using that product, you're not getting an elite finish. You, you say you are, but it leaves residue. We watched it with ourselves. We have a process I'd put against anybody. Do you believe in elite results? If you're using a $20 wheel cleaner on really dirty rims, that's not happening. You're going to leave residue behind. Now you're sitting there and you're wiping with your hand and you got to go in there and stick a towel in the barrel and, and you got to do all of these things. Well, guess what that is? It could be your process, but it also could be that you bought a cheap wheel cleaner. Your rims, your wheels are in bad shape. You're scratching up black rims because you've used a poor product. And not only did you buy a $20 gallon, you diluted it from there. Why is that good? So I want to use that example to say, I don't want to work hard to clean rims. It's a tough gig. I want my life of my guys to be easier. And I want to achieve an elite level result. When I partner elite chemicals built properly for that job with an elite process, I get an elite result. I want everybody to understand that. You cannot get an elite result with subpar products. Don't 
they go together. We have this results are greater than products thing going around now. Okay. Let me ask you this. If I handed you a DeWalt polisher, a seven inch wool pad and a, and a really, really poorly uh, manufactured compound and said, Hey, here's a black GM Silverado. Go ahead and polish it to perfection. Could you do it? None of you could do it. I couldn't do it. Nobody could do it. Why? Pads wrong, chemicals wrong, tool may be wrong for some of you, right? So tell me again how products don't matter. Tell me how process is more important than products. It's not more important at all. It's the marrying of the two that makes you elite. Pick out the right products, have the right process, get an elite result. But now we have this message being sent around. And again, it's been said for a long time, we're going to stretch chemicals. And we got distributors and people online going on a YouTube page going, hey, man, I only had to use one ounce of this soap and I can stretch this soap and I can. Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? There's nothing about that that's elite. And here is the greatest thing to be able to say for me. In my 24-year career, I never stretched a chemical. I never tried to stretch a chemical. I tried to use the chemical to my advantage. I was taught that way when I entered the business. I never worked for somebody that made me uh, stretch chemicals. They didn't believe in it. Use the chemical, make your life easier. Use the chemical to your benefit. It'll help the result. When I started my business in 2010, I didn't have anything. I still didn't try to stretch chemicals. I charged appropriately. Chemicals took care of themselves. In my business today, I don't even talk to my guys about chemical costs or any of that. They all have their own credit card and their own truck. Think I'm more worried about chemical costs or what it costs me to run six trucks on the road, five actively in one backup truck that I drive around. What, what do you think changes my business? The price of gas or chemicals? Because I can tell you, I've never talked to my accountant about chemical costs. Never once in 12 years. Because it's so minuscule compared to what we charge. It's so minor. But I get calls, texts, DMs, guys trying to stretch chemical. I'll ask them, how'd you dilute it? Oh, I, I did it uh, 10 to 1. Why did you dilute it so weak? Oh, you know, I'm just, just trying to stretch it, man. But no, no, you're getting a bad result because of that. This is a four-to-one, one-to-one situation. Why are you doing that? Oh, well, you know, man, just trying to stretch a buck. You told me you're charging $500 for the job. 27 cents in chemical cost is going to kill you? Man, we got to get beyond that. I'm only sharing you what I've done. So I want to walk through something. We got a lot of DIYers, prosumers, and professionals that listen to the podcast. Foam wash, in my opinion, this is how I would use it and how we do use it. Three ounces in a foam cannon, three ounces in a bucket, six ounces total to wash a car. Okay. One ounce of foam wash. Is 24 cents. Let's round it up and call it a quarter. 
Okay. So in my foam cannon, I have 75 cents. And in my bucket, I have 75 cents. I can wash a $100,000 vehicle for $1.50. Why would I try to stretch the chemical and do two ounces and two ounces or one ounce and one ounce? Because here's what's going to happen. You're not going to have enough lubrication on the surface. You're going to mar the paint. There goes the elite level results. Out the window, you've now ruined the elite level results. You've compromised your results over 50 cents. Walk me through that. Doesn't make sense to you when you say it out loud. There's none of you shaking your head going, yeah, I want to risk scratching a $100,000 Range Rover over 50 cents. Happens every day. Three ounces in a foam cannon, three ounces in a bucket. I wash a $250,000 car for a for $1.50. Pretty good deal. And if you go out and you find a cheaper soap, I want you to think about the repercussions from that. I went out and I found this soap. Man, I can stretch it, stretch it, stretch it. Probably don't have the lubrication on the surface. Not getting elite level results. And you know what cheap soaps get you? Residue on the car. So you start to get a chalky look on your black car. And you're going, man, why is this thing not as clear? Well, you've marred it and you've left massive soap residue behind. So for a buck fifty to do it right, one dollar and fifty cents to do it right, I'm just going to choose to do it right. Well, you know, I think I can get away with an ounce and an ounce. So for one dollar, you want to mar the paint. Again, we're not saying that, that this process costs you $150 to do in chemicals. One dollar and fifty cents. Get you proper lubrication, proper foam on the vehicle, proper foam in your bucket, safest wash possible. Now you marry it with an elite process of washing the car. And for $1.50, my car looks just mint because I didn't risk it by skimping on the chemical. And again, for those of you that think your process is more important than the product, go wash your car with Dawn dish soap. You're not going to get an elite level result. Doesn't work that way. You got to marry products and your elite process. For $1.50, I can wash my car properly. Why do I have to cut a corner? We take care of a lot of cars, man. This goes for Eco One. This goes for TRX. This goes for Slick. I know there are guys out there cutting Slick. One-to-one. -one. Oh, I can stretch this product, man. Why wouldn't you just want to get the best result? Oh, man, it doesn't hurt anything. Yeah, it does. You took the active ingredient and you diluted it, probably with not so pristine water. Now the minerals in that water are reacting with the slick. And because you chose to cut the product, which we tell you not to do, you're not getting an elite level result. See, I watch a lot of people tell me how they're elite. You can watch it on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. And maybe they have a decent process, but they skimp on their chemical and they can't get an elite level result. So we don't have to have this conversation in the hyperclean world of is process more important than product? Because we've told you before, 
products, process, and purpose. And when you have a purpose, you're not going to skimp on your chemicals. If your purpose is to get elite level results, you're not going to think products don't matter and only my process matters. You're going to realize the whole thing matters. See, none of this has to be toxic, man. If all of this stuff was so expensive that like gas is now, I spend thousands of dollars a week in my company on gas at this point in time in 2022. Do you think I care about $1.50 in washing a car? Why should any of you? If you're doing a basic interior and exterior detail, basic, no paint correction, no coating, basic interior detail and exterior detail, you'd be lucky if you spent $5 total on a chemical. And most of you are charging two, three, four hundred dollars for that service. Why is it even topic of conversation to stretch a chemical when less than five dollars lets you do it properly? So when I get asked about dilutions, and this happens a lot with our waterless and rinseless world. Now I want everybody to know I was an O and R user long before it was popular, and I used it for a long time, and I respect Optimum as a company. Their dilution rate was not correct to get the results that I wanted to get on the collections I was taking care of. And everybody always talks, well, man, you can really stretch it. Yep. If you don't want to have a lot of lubrication on the surface, you can really stretch it. You can really stretch that product. Same with Eco One. Man, you want to stretch that product? Great. Go look at the cost of a five-gallon concentrate of our Eco One product. Think about that. Why do I need to stretch it? So here's what I do with Eco One. Let me give you an example. We talk about one-to-one -one dilutions, all that kind of stuff. Let me tell you what I do. We use it so much, we get five-gallon concentrates in my business. I put them in a five-gallon cube. And our 32-ounce bottles or our kegs, depending on the, the, which truck is going where, we, have, we take tank kegs and fill them up with pre-rinse. Our pre-rinse is straight. Our pre-rinse has the most lubrication we can get. I already got a five-gallon concentrate. I'm going to use it to my advantage. I've already gotten a deal, man. And I was using Eco. I, I, I was using O&R this way before I was selling Eco One. So this isn't, I used O&R. Way heavier dilution than what everybody else was doing. Because when I saw it at their dilution, the 256 to 1, I watched I watched it not have enough lubrication and actually encourage marring on the surface. But when I upped how much was in my rinseless bucket and I upped how much was in my pre-soak, man, I could get a lot better result. So I wasn't concerned about the extra 50 cents I spent. I was worried about the result and using the chemical in a place that would get me the result I wanted to get. Wasn't worried about it. So Eco One, here's what I do. After we put the five-gallon concentrate together in the cube, it goes right into a bottle. That's my pre-soak. It's straight. And then in my bucket, I'm using a couple ounces per gallon. Not because you can't get away with an ounce, but because I like the peace of mind that I'm putting more lubrication on my towel, which is putting more lubrication on the surface, which is helping me have a safer wash process. So even though on the site we tell you you can do less, let me tell you what I do. I do more. I don't want to waste product. 
I want to be the, the best that I can be. And this is what I found works the best for me. TRX. If I have a really tough job, man, I'll just use TRX straight. It's not a harsh degreaser like so many of you are used to. It's a more multi-purpose, futuristic type of degreasing product. It's heavy, heavy modern surfactants in there. So I got a really, really beat up tire, but it's on some sensitive, sitting on some sensitive rims. So I don't want to use a harsh degreaser. I may just go TRX straight. Let me get to the point. I don't care that cost me an extra 15 cents. And I used to have a Meguiar's rep. I, I got a lot of chemicals from Meguiar's in my career. Okay. I never asked for a deal. I never bitched about price. I never tried to cut the product. I never did any of that. I use products at a strong dilution so I can make my life easier and help me get an elite result. Make my life easier and get an elite result. That's what I care about. For 12 years of ownership, I've cared about that. And luckily, I've always worked for people or companies prior to this that cared about it as well. Nobody ever in an elite company bitches about chemical costs. Not that I've ever come in contact with. Okay? That's the reality. I want to leave you with a story. The gentleman that makes YouTube videos. I really like him. I've spent some time with him at SEMA. We talk every now and then. I really respect the guy. And I'm not going to call, I'm not here to call him out. I'm here to show something that happened on his YouTube page when it comes to chemicals. So he's got an elite process of cleaning rims. It's up there with anybody's. It's a perfectly elite process. But he uses a cheap $20 wheel cleaner. But here's the kicker. He always has carbon ceramics on all of his cars. So he doesn't get heavy brake dust. So this very gentle wheel cleaner has always served him okay. And he sells a lot of it. And he likes the brand and whatever the reason may be. But he doesn't clean a lot of heavy brake dust because he has carbon ceramic brakes on all of his sports cars. In comes a BMW he just recently purchased. Steel brakes on it. Heavy brake dust. And he's complaining that now his elite level process and this chemical he promotes is not cleaning the rims very well. In that whole episode, it never occurs to him he's using a subpar wheel cleaner. Because when you actually have dirty rims, that's when a properly formulated wheel cleaner like Fuego or something along those lines is important. You need it to help you get the rim more squeaky clean to that next level. We all can leave a little residue behind. That's an easy thing to do. That's a no-brainer, middle-of-the-road cleaning. You want an elite cleaning, you're going to have to have an elite process and an elite chemical. So he complains through all four rims, man, I don't know how you guys live with steel brakes, but he blames the brakes. And yeah, they leave more brake dust, but if, had, if he was using a proper wheel cleaner, he wouldn't be leaving all this extra brake dust behind. It never occurs to him. And by the way, he's not even diluting his chemical. He's using it at full strength. So even at full strength, this chemical is subpar. 
but he's never thinking to himself, man, you know, I, I really have this. I really got to think about the chemical I'm using because he's just sold on the chemical he's using. It's a guy I like. He's intelligent. He's great for the detailing industry. But look how much people don't think about marrying the two. He uses it full strength. He's not diluting it. He's doing it all the right way. And he still can't get an elite level results when there's heavy brake dust. Why? Because it's not a good wheel cleaner. So he's got an elite process, a subpar wheel cleaning product. He gets a very average result. Now, you can use soap to clean carbon ceramic rims. There's hardly anything. It's just dirt and debris. It's not heavy brake dust. That's the point of carbon ceramics besides the stopping power. But I keep seeing this over and over again on different platforms, different people. I get a million questions about dilution. Folks, I don't skimp on dilution. And when I have a premium process and I'm fighting the product, I either up how much product's in that bottle or I move on. And when you watch a YouTube video where a guy's blaming steel brakes for the problem and he has an elite process, it's not the brakes problem. It is a subpar wheel cleaning product. And if it's a $20 wheel cleaner, folks, let me tell you what it is. It's soap. It's soap. That's what's in that product. That's how they get away with it. That's how they sell it to their distributors for $10 a gallon. Do the math yourself. There's cost in the bottle, cost in research and development, cost in raw materials, cost in paying your people. Cost and paying for shipping. What could be in something that costs $10 a gallon to a distributor? Not very much. Not when it comes to cleaning rims. Because rim cleaners, that raw material is expensive to do it right. Take it from me. But I want to repeat this, man. I have never in my career cut chemicals to their bare minimum. I've never diluted them to their bare minimum. I've never sat there and measured because I didn't want to waste an extra ounce because that, that means something to me. It doesn't mean anything. It just doesn't mean anything. Okay. In the end, I want the elite level results and I want to make my life as easy as I can. So I hope, hope this helps some of you. Everybody have a great weekend. Check us out on hypercleanstore.com. Go join the Facebook group, Hyperclean Specialist. And I'll talk to you guys next week.